Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast about black science fiction and fantasy and staying on the same page in this marriage. I'm one of your amazing co-hosts, Amber Wallen. And I'm Ben. And that's Ben. Before we get started today on discussing this incredible book that we both read, we just want to extend a thank you to all of our listeners out there. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people in the interwebs, on Instagram, on Facebook, or just texting me in general. So huge, major shout out. Thank you for sending us all of the love. If you want to keep supporting the Sci-Fi Sci, please, you know, leave us a couple of stars on Apple Podcasts or leave a rating. And if you really, really, like you really try to be our good friends, you know, you can go right on over to Patreon and subscribe to the podcast for just $5 a month. Any little bit helps so we can help pay for this microphone, get some better studio settings, all of that good stuff. So more amazing sci-fi side news and episodes to come, but we just want to thank our fans for listening. Okay, Ben, you ready to discuss this incredible book? Yes, we read Binti, the complete trilogy. Oh yeah, it took a, a lot to get through, but... We read it. I, I haven't read a book in a week in a very long time. A lot? There were three novellas. Yeah, but it was like 356 pages. Like, I typically mull over a book for a whole month. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you're also doing like a hundred different things as well. Agreed. So, it was, a, it was a hustle to finish this book, especially with everything going on in the world. Just to give people context, today is... November 4th for us. So last night when people were sipping wine and looking at election results or what the start of the election results, I was just like hustling trying to finish this book. We're going to be discussing book one of the trilogy, Binti. There are going to be spoilers. So let's get started. All right. So Binti, the complete trilogy is written by Nettie Okorafor. And it is about a young, brilliant woman who leaves her home to go to a university. The first book takes place on two places. Most of it is Earth. There's all humans. It has uh, Binti dealing with the, the tension of her leaving or not leaving. And then she decides to leave at night against all her family's wishes to go off to university, go off to the big city, discover herself, and she... Heads off, gets onto this awesome, incredible spaceship, a living, breathing spaceship, which itself is absolutely fucking cool. She is human, and she learns how to interact with other races and species throughout the galaxy when she goes to university. But it also deals with her leaving home, which, in a lot of these kinds of stories, when people leave home, it's really fucking easy for them. I just think about Harry Potter when he was leaving home, and he was so excited that there was no sort of regret for leaving home. But the first book deals with her confronting that regret and leaving home. And so what, yeah, what did you think about uh, that idea of leaving home? Because you've definitely left home. Well, it's interesting because typically families are excited for you to go to college because she's leaving to go to college at age 16 because she's super gifted and because she's super gifted she has all of these like incredible mathematical intelligence that has placed her at this university but her family does not want her to leave to go because also in her tribe she's himba also in this tribe she has her pilgrimage coming up that's like she has to go get married and meet her 
her betrothed and start a family. So she is fleeing to this university and it's not like a big college send-off of excitement. So I remember thinking immediately like, oh, this is a really different kind of story because I know how excited my family was to like send me off to university. But also, I have a, <laughs> You went to university in your same hometown. I was about hometown. to say that. I went to... So I'm from Athens, Georgia, and I went to the University of Georgia. So I still got to see my parents every Sunday just for a meal, right? Right, and for, yeah, and for those who don't know, at, uh, UGA, University of Georgia, is in Athens. So your university was like a 10-minute drive from your house. It was. And I foolishly, just so I could still be popping stayed on campus which looking back it was a huge waste of money but uh popping out of your uh money pockets yes but it was pop like the experience like i i needed to navigate the campus and get to know people and the only way to really do that and know what parties were going on were to live on campus so yes i paid a a, a high high price in order to feel included and avoid fomo the fomo price was very high but i will say once i left college I made that drastic move from Georgia to Chicago, and that was, it, it was exciting for my family. They were excited for me to spread out and launch out on my own, but definitely getting the questions of like, so when are you coming home, and, and feeling guilt when I couldn't help what things that were happening in Georgia. I feel that's part of dealing with like the struggle of leaving home is so unique with this story yeah because i just think at time and time again of fantasy and science fiction novels where leaving home is this like huge celebratory experience where the, the a big part of the tension comes through even throughout the rest of the trilogy with her leaving home and her desire to come back and whether she should stay or should she go you know and that is so much more resonant for so many people so many people and she also comes from like a fucking huge family she has like nine brothers and mm -hmm. a bunch of sisters aunts and uncles aunts and uncles and here's the thing the her responsibility is huge so she is something called a master harmonizer basically she has the ability to calm people down yeah she's a peacemaker she's a peacemaker but in this world that is a very unique ability, and it comes from your ability to do math equations in your head, which I thought was so absolutely wonderful because it took like this pure mathematics and applied it immediately to like social relationships. And mathematicians are really not known for being the most like socially smooth mm -mm. or aware creatures. I guess they are mathematicians themselves are like a separate type of creature. But Binti is a social genius and a social peacekeeper because of her mathematical ability and that is so dissonant to the rest of like how we understand mathematicians so how did you think about that like what is your experience with mathematicians i taught high school geometry for a little bit and so one of my like dear dear friends jackie she was a mathematician so we get along great she's super social but for the most part without that experience of connecting with her i mathematicians never ran through my tracks or my neighborhood oh that's right your friend is both like a mathematician and very social and she's sort of a peacekeeper i wonder if jackie is a master harmonizer she could be i i love that that was a whole profession and occupation and gift like the ability to keep peace 
is a, a revered position. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, why don't we have master harmonizers outside of science fiction? Well, I think we do. I guess we call is that them. like Olivia Pope from Scandal. Would you call her a master harmonizer? Well, it would be uh, the well, it would be an ambassador from one country to another. I guess mm -hmm. in some ways an ambassador plays that role. But what is unique about a master harmonizer is that they're it's almost like a superpower. They manipulate the area around them using mathematics, mm -hmm. like mathematic equations. And this is an idea I first encountered in a series by Yoon Ha Lee. And in that trilogy, battles are fought using mathematical equations that are created with formations and from there, uh, people battle and fight that way. So this is a, an idea of science fiction that instead of used for like this battle sense, which is what the Hexarch trilogy does in Yoon Ha Lee's series, mathematics is used for peacekeeping in this trilogy. And I thought seeing that dis the, uh, the contrast between the two was really, really cool. So if people love you know math and science fiction, Definitely check out Yoon Ha Lee's series and then also read Binti. It's absolutely incredible, especially for that idea. I want to go back to this idea of your family and the homesick and things like that. Do you think her family was more worried about her leaving because she wasn't completing her pilgrimage? Or do you think her family was more worried about, well, now once you go to this university, you'll be completely changed? Because I have definitely experienced sort of this like, oh, well, you're a city girl now. You, you don't want to fool with us country folks. Or it's like, did y'all actually just genuinely miss me? Like those two ideas running together. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in the story, they call her tainted at one point. So when After she... going to this university. Yeah. Also, this university is so cool because it's uh, like most universities a a melting pot of all different cultures and backgrounds. So every time I was reading the story, I was thinking about uh, Uzma Uni is the name of the university. I was thinking about Uzma Uni as like Monsters, Inc. Like all of these different creatures are just walking around. Like That's, exactly what, that's exactly. exactly what it like looks like. Some people like. flew. Some people could like blend in with the walls. Some people, there, there were trans characters there, but they weren't. Uh, like, you know, what we know to be trans people. It was just like, I I used to be one being in life form and now I've transitioned to another. I've evolved into another. So there's this like huge blend and infusion of all these different tribes and cultures. And is it that your family fears, well, once you go there and see this blend of people and this limitless intellect, when you come back here, you're not going to feel as connected to us. You're going to be grounded. Oh, absolutely. And ever since she's a kid, Binti is constantly wandering about and getting outside of the grounds. And her people, the Himba tribe, the Himba tribe people always look for truth inward. That's a phrase that they say. We don't go and look for truth outward. We're always looking inside ourselves, And that is not Binti at all. So she's she, always searching. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's always leaving and traveling and going places, even as a child where she shouldn't be. And her family definitely fears that, partly because she's this like genius mathematician and a genius harmonizer. It's also discovered that she is the first of her tribe, her her tribe to go off to university. And so she as a Himba woman is very unique in that. And also as a Himba woman she has to deal with the Kush. And so that that is the other part of it. The other part they don't want her, the other reason they don't want her to leave is that the Himba are known for creating these things called astrolabs, which are essentially 
super advanced telephones and they act as like stress relievers they act as translators they act as all these different kinds of things and her father creates the best astrolabs in the entire galaxy and so the himba people uh are trained to develop the astrolabs and share them with other people and so she is expected to take over that business as well i love the description and capabilities of the astrolabes in the book they were my absolute favorite on top of being like like you said like a hyper uh iphone or whatever the astrolabe would also tell you like when you were about to have a panic attack or when you were freaking out which i so appreciated i was like why do i have an astrolabe that says like like steady your breath you're about to have a freak out like that is some technology that we should have i'm sure there's an app for that somewhere but i love that because it was like a phone and a pacemaker and a, 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 a Apple Watch. It, it, that was just really cool for me. I, I enjoyed experiencing that with Binti. Also, on the point of different creatures, uh, there are the most prominent alien in this uh, series is the Medusa. And in the first book, uh, as she is going to, as Binti is going to university, she go, she travels on this massive living ship, and we'll talk about the massive living ships later. But as she's traveling, she's meeting all these new humans, the smartest humans in the gal in on Earth, because Earth is sending their smartest and best to go to the university to learn. And within like maybe ten pages within the book this ship is taken over and attacked by these group of like nine foot jellyfish called Medusa with these massive stingers. And all her friends are brutally destroyed, murdered, blood flying everywhere. It's mm -hmm. actually pretty fucking horrific. And I remember at one point, because she has a friend, um, Hiru, mm -hmm. uh, who has a stinger go through his chest and she talks about his chest bursting open and like pieces of his chest like landing on her face. Landing on her face. I was like, this face. book is off the chat. Like, what? We we only like give a bitch a second to read. We only 16 pages in and y'all bursting little 16-year-old boy's chest open. And it's so weird because she's eating this like really delicious flan. It's first person narrative. So Benty is telling the story and explains how the flan and the smell of blood sort of mix together. Oof. And it, it is absolutely disgusting also it made me remember that um Nettie okorafor is first and foremost a huge horror writer mm -hmm. i know she's writing science fiction but she's a huge stephen king fan and a lot of her stories do deal with horror but I <laughs> which i was not expecting i was like this is this is some fucking tarantino right here like there's blood and sweat and poop everywhere all right so the background of that is the himba are one uh, kind of human tribe and there's another kind of human tribe called the kush humans who are very stuck up prideful and they look down on the himba they look down on the himba in general even though the himba provide like really great resources the astrolabs to them but the kush are just complete assholes and so she has to deal with just the standard shittiness regarding like people looking down at your culture so for example at one point when she's waiting in line for this ship some somebody like grabs her locks they're just like absolutely disgusted by her because they put this red oil substance yeah the ojize the o the ojize and the ojize is how the himba people wash because in this part of the world 
uh, hundreds of years into the future, there's so little water. And so you can't bathe with water. So instead you bathe with this like red mud substance. Also, yeah, every character, most of them, all the main characters are black as well. And the, the earth locations are Nigeria, you know, I think maybe hundreds of years into the future. Have you had people grab your hair in line? Oh, of course. So, I mean, it's so interesting to look at this story and say to yourself, this, I hate this like caste system. Whenever we go to other countries, like, you know, we went to India a couple of years ago and there's, there's this custom in India where you don't, where some caste are like, we don't eat or eat the food that's been prepared by people of a lower caste. And I was, I remember thinking at the time, I was like, that's really interesting and feels kind of mean, but we have the same shit in America. We, we do similar things. We just don't even eat in each other's houses at all. So I know in other cultures, they call it different caste systems and the desert people look down on these people over here and it's just like a totem pole of all these different tribes. But we have the exact same thing here. We, we just don't call it a caste system. It's, so the Kush people, to me, felt very much so like white people, even though I know that the story had all black characters. So Or maybe like lighter skinned people were the Kush tribe and then the Himba were like uh, darker skinned with locks and things like that. So if that... If that paints a, a visual of what these two people look like and how they act. It makes me think of that new book written by Isabel Wilkerson, Cast, and she is actually analyzing the American caste system. And, right. that, and, and her point in, in that book is uh, that race is really not the lens that we should be understanding injustice in America, but actually the very systematic structure of caste systems uh, that mirrors caste systems in other societies. And so mm. that... That is essentially her thesis of of that of that book. And if people don't know who Isabel Wilkerson, she wrote uh, "The Warmth of Other Suns," which is about the Great Migration, and was part of the One Book One Chicago uh, a few a few years ago. And also, Nettie Okorafor is also part of Chicago, so Chicago all around. Chicago represent. What we discover is that the Kush the majority of the people that are in her part of the world are at war with this alien race, these like nine foot jellyfish creatures called the Medusa. And the Medusa attack the ship and kill every fucking person on the ship in this like really horrific... Except... Except Binti. But the reason they don't kill her is that Binti has this sort of talisman this old technology called an Eden that she discovered years ago out in the desert. And so from this, we're getting the implication that the earth, uh, that the current earth, this current situation is like hundreds of years in our future. And so at one point she found this like little gold round circle called an Eden. So when the Medusa tried to kill her, she pulls out the Eden and it, it ends up like killing them. And you're not really sure what this uh, this device is it just is made with this mysterious metal that she carries with her for good luck and in fact it protects her from the Medusa. and so the story then is set up where she uh, starts learning about the Medusa. they talked with her and for some reason she's able to communicate with them because she's this master harmonizer and uh, the first book ends essentially with her uh, brokering a peace between the Medusa and uh, the Kush at uh, Umza University. And 
uh, that's sort of this incredible uh, story there. But what, yeah, what do you think about the Medusa? Because they're personified really well, but then when they're given physical descriptions, you're like, this is a really, it's basically a giant jellyfish that breathes out like this toxic smoke, right? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the description of the Medusa and also more so than the like vivid physical like the physicality and th- those descriptions, the Medusa are just described as very warlike people. So I enjoyed uh, later in this story, we become sort of friends and get to know one Medusa specifically, Oku. And Oku is just like, he is not about games. He's not about banter and laughter because this species of people, they're just like warlike. So he, like, that's just always on his mind and He's not aggressive or anything. He's the the way he sees the world is just like constant fight or flight. It was cool to meet that character, but also learn how that character thinks, and that sort of later helped us understand what Benty was going through. Because again, spoiler, Benty ends up becoming part Medusa when she goes to initiate this peace treaty between her and the chief Medusa. She gets stung by one of their stingers and becomes a little bit of Medusa. So some of her locks in her hair start slowly becoming tentacles as well. And as she is experiencing the PSD from seeing, you know, all of her friends destroyed in that dining hall scene, she starts to become enraged and starts to have those panic attacks and starts to get angry, which is not the way of the Himba people. But she later learns like, oh, this Medusa part of me is what's becoming enraged and what's becoming she's like i've never showed violent tendencies before but why now am i getting so upset yeah and that that takes place in book two binti binti home but uh before and i definitely want to get into that because there's a lot of really cool stuff but before we jump into book two i just want to close up uh book one and uh something that i found really exciting about book one is that it does set it up as the Medusa as being this like one-sided people and there's a lot of misinformation about the Medusa. for example it's assumed that they're a hive mind which is simply not true and it made me think of the parallels of Star Trek where when you're first introduced to the Cleons that they're this very simple war-like people that only motivation is to kill but then later when you watch in Star Trek the next generation there's so much more complexity to the Cleons. And uh, that idea is... Sort of like getting to know the enemy and learning that they have dimensions as well. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that because that's when you learn, like, well, we're all not that different. Yeah, but at the same time, I think there's pretty big difference between a nine-foot jellyfish and a human. It's, uh, it's sort of like this this tension where you have to, like, recognize the difference because I hate when people are like, oh, we're just we're just not different like why can't we just all love each other we're not that different but we at the same time we are so how do you like hold that tension of differences but also connection without erasing the differences because oftentimes when i hear people say oh we're not that different different what they're really saying is that we're going to erase everything that makes you right. you and then whitewash you and make you right and yes and no because you. i think as we started to learn more about the Medusa, even though they are very like warlike and have violent tendencies we learn like that's not out of nowhere like something was taken from them and they are retaliating so it's that part right it's it's like you know how you feel about terrorism sometimes it's like when you sit there and watch stories and learn 
narratives of people who have grown up in these different countries who have been wronged several, several times and then are then compelled to join a, a gang or a vigilante group, you sort of understand like, oh, well, given those set of circumstances, maybe I would have done something like that as well. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I That's what I think about it. Do I think I'm a terrorist? No. But if I watch the evolution of how, or like making a murderer, like when I sit here and watch, like you have trauma, 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 which led you to this decision. I can not get behind it, but at least rationalize and understand it better. Mm. That's, that's what I was trying to say. I'm not, I don't think I'm a nine foot jellyfish, but can I understand somebody's done you wrong and you're retaliating? Yeah. But I can already hear some like very liberal white people being like, but in some way I am the nine foot jellyfish. Can't you just hear that? Oh yeah. I mean, why couldn't they be? That ain't me, but. (laughs) Oh, and the reason why for this particular instance, why the Medusa has uh, attacked the ship is because that the Medusa chief, his stinger was taken by the uh, Umza University Kush uh, yes. researchers. Like a museum. Like a they're museum. like, well, we took it to study it and all that. It's like, well, no. Which is how most museums actually do work. They steal shit and then put it there and then you pay tons of money to go learn about it. You know, that there's such like a huge industry in academia to study poverty. Like in mm. <laughs> at U Chicago, which is where I went uh, to get for graduate school, so much money is thrown into like studying poverty mm-hmm. instead of, I mean, yes, there are people there who are like looking to provide support and love, but most of it is just to study and for these academics to write these like big tomes and to get tenure and to continue teaching. And so that is incredibly frustrating to, to see that. But also depressing because this is hundreds of years into the future and humans are still doing this shit. Yeah. But they're doing it to aliens this time around. All right. So Binti 1 ends with this reconciliation between uh, the humans and the Medusa. And to make sure that reconciliation stays, the Medusa Oku stays at the university. and As o- a student. As a student. And Oku... And Binti have developed this friendship and this yeah. relationship, even though the Medusa killed everyone. Her best friend, yeah. Yeah, her best friend. Well, it wasn't her best or, friend. Or, uh, well, uh, Someone, a potential love interest. A potential love interest in this, like, alien chestburster moment. That sort of made me think back to, like, Lovecraft Country when Gi befriends Atticus. It's like you originally, you originally, I don't know, singled him out and, and sought to kill him, but then y'all developed a friendship or a, a re- romantic relationship. I love those types of stories where people meet each other and they hate each other at first sight and then they either fall in love or become dear friends. I don't know. There's something so beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. So human. So human. It is very well. human. I agree. All right. So Binti, uh, book two is called Binti Home. And it's a year into the future. Uh, Binti has fallen in love with the university. But as you were saying, she's dealing with PTSD. And you don't really see ever this in like far-flung space opera science fiction tales. And so throughout Binti Home, the book two, she's constantly having these images that pull her back to the uh, cafeteria, the, the cafeteria, dining hall, the dining bath. hall, the bloodbath of her seeing all her friends 
be destroyed. But at the same time, she as she's having those visions, she's also developing a relationship with um, Okowu. Oku. Oku. You listen to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. That's so, why I love the audiobook, because it pronounces everything correctly. Yeah. I need... But they it go, audiobooks go so slow. You can speed up the... You can you can change the speed of how they read it to you. But then it goes... It sounds like they're speaking in tongues. Oh my gosh. Fine. Read it yourself. I like audiobooks, especially if I'm, I'm reading words from other cultures. Like, I want to get it right. And, I, and the voice acting is just comforting. Yeah, that is actually a really important point. And I'm, the idea of fucking up someone's name is, and in this case, me fucking up a Medusa's name is specious, which is just a, is. another oh. form of like racism. Right. Okay, keep going because I don't want you to lose track of this recap uh, so we can talk about it. Right. So Binti Home, she spent a year at the university and she decides to go back to Earth. And her to go back to Earth is this point for her to take this pilgrimage. So she's feeling her call back from home. So it's sort of like someone going to college for a year and they get this mixture of homesick but slash guilt. And that is what she's feeling. Mm -hmm. However, the university, Umza University, which is this sprawling, powerful university, also wants um, Oku to go back to Earth as well. To sort of develop the relationship and the peace between the Kush and the Medus. And Binti Home starts from there. This is this is the point where you, we get some familial tension because when Binti yeah. goes home, her sisters are like pissed at her. That she left in the middle of the night. Yeah, and they like give her. Even a though lot she's of shit. a hero, she's the only one that survived this bloodbath but she's she's brought back the person that was leading the bloodbath charge it, it's it's weird but they are very very mean to her and they're not saying like we missed you you're a hero like we're just glad to have you back like people either like deeply missed her or refused to talk to her because of she's just not fulfilling her familial duty which is to get married yeah it, it's very traditionalist and and when she has her homecoming, there's this mixture of like, we appreciate you brokering this piece, but you also didn't do this thing, or you left, you left your, you left our father at night, and now he has to work in the shop creating the astrolabs, and he's getting arthritis of the hands. Yeah, and so much guilt. And she is constantly bombarded, and at one point, Binti just breaks, and I love it. I love when you get a hero who's who has faults and who has mm -hmm. anger and rage. And as a young woman, she's a 17-year-old woman who has anger and rage. She snaps on her yeah, sister. Yeah, I know. She, like, spat in her, her, she spat in her sister's face oh. at one point. I was like, ooh, shit. Because her sister that, was I mean, being I, ridiculous. I like, would imagine Thanksgiving 2020 is going to look sort of like a binti coming home experience yes, for some people. It's like, people. where have you been? Why do you look? And they also notice that she has changed, which is really, that that part feels really familiar like she is physically changed because some of her hair now are tentacles because she is part medus as well and i don't know have you ever came home and your family has noticed that you've changed a lot maybe not 
so much physically, but you know, oh. your family's the first to be like, "Where you lost some weight? Are you gaining too much? Why?" Well, yeah, never a physical, ex- you know, mm-hmm. uh, change. Oh, well, uh, except there was this one moment where I thought about getting gauges. You know, those like big holes because mm-hmm. everyone on my floor you in college, thought about that? yeah, my oh. first year had gauges, and I was skateboarding a lot at this point. I was skateboarding and listening to a lot of like metal and punk and shit and i i thought i would get gauges but that never happened i am gauge free but i feel like there's this world in which i did get gauges and actually my entire life trajectory completely changed <laughs> because i got gauges my okay friend. i don't know it's sort of the it's those little things, right? Just... So what did happen when you went home? Oh, I... Since became... you didn't get gauges. See, this is the same shit with, like, y'all should go read this book, even though I haven't... I, I, in a world, I got gauges, even though I didn't. I... So here... Something I wonder why I do that... There's two reasons. I could just be a pathological liar, which mm-hmm. I don't... I, That's not off the table. <laughs> I don't think... But oftentimes, I write in my journals as, like, this third person like this other imagining (laughs) imagining things like one time i wrote a restaurant review i wrote a restaurant review for somewhere that i didn't been like i hadn't been like i just pretended i went there so i wrote about the i don't know i like these writing exercises so i'll imagine (laughs) this experience like repeatedly in my head because i run a lot too so usually that's what. well how do you separate what's real from what's not you don't. You don't. That, and that's a problem for someone who really, really likes science fiction as well. You know, there is no separation. There is no separation. Okay, mm-hmm. so back to the story. The story about coming home. I've definitely come home from college very different, especially as far as my religious reviews. Uh, religious <laughs> reviews. I like you calling them religious reviews. I, yes. Yeah, I reviewed my religion and I found it to be lacking. I remember... It's like one star out of five. Yeah. The first time where I really rejected religion, I was such a fucking dick about it mm-hmm. and so mean. And because in college, I had... I really started to read the Bible. I think my first year of college, I read the Bible through twice. And I like also... cover to cover. Cover to cover. The whole wow. fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. And I read it... I read it as literature. I had to read a book called Reading the Bible as Literature. And when you stop reading it as a holy text and start reading it as a book or as literature, it starts looking exactly that. Gotcha. Just yeah. written by it's like humans. It's written by humans. Yeah. And it becomes beautiful, but also terribly wrong. It's a collection of letters that are you know, thoughtful and reflective, but not very relevant to how we should be living our life today. And I remember going back and just pointing out all these inconsistencies and being such a fucking asshole to my parents. And, and, uh, at this point I started to discover that a lot of the religious practices that I grew up with were prevalent in not only Christianity, but in Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. I'm talking specifically mysticism so as a Pentecostal, you really, Pentecostal Christian, you put a lot of value into speaking in tongues and getting visions. And that's not unique to Christianity in the least. And I remember learning about that my first year and feeling really gypped and feeling really cheated and feeling very frustrated to think that my way was the only way. And uh, that's quickly devolved with like a lot of anger and rage. And I think maybe even like metaphorically spitting in my parents' yeah. face. 
and uh, but but they never and they never treated me the way that uh, Binti's family treated her, which is a lot of sh- like sh- mixture of shame and disgust. It's very strange how it they is. treat her because they're like we when lo- they know that she's gifted too. Like you know, as a parent, like this child is destined to do different things. Like, like this child has a greater purpose. I see that this child has a greater purpose and yet I'm making them feel different and uh, tainted for fulfilling that purpose. It's so bizarre. It, it is bizarre. Also because the Himba people are treated like shit from the Kush. And, but, and that's kind of, that that whole thing is like, you know, where did we learn to be discriminatory like it all goes back to white supremacy you know so i think in my brain i'm like the himba people are literally just repeating the treatment that they've gotten to the desert people and and the desert oh. people are probably doing it to some other people yeah. like i oh we we need to bring up the desert people oh, go so for it. yeah there there are three main human tribes in this story mm-hmm. and so in in binti the first book we're introduced to the himba and the kush right those mm-hmm. are the human tribes so binti is himba yeah which is a real tribe go look it up it's fascinating to see how well Nettie described the Himba people and then to see the Himba people. So the Kush think that they're at the top of the totem pole or, and they kind of are in this caste system of the story. Then Binti is Himba girl. Uh, they, they do live in the desert, but they're not the desert people. And then we have the desert people. Right, but the desert people is her, is a derogatory term. Yes, because it's, they are the Inya Zanaria. The in, 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 Inya? Inya? Zanaria. Zanaria. Mm-hmm. Audiobook, baby. Audiobook. And... So in Binti Home, we're introduced to the Inya Zanaria. And spoiler alert, uh, Binti's father is actually Inya yeah, Zanaria and has been keeping that sort of hidden and secret because the Himba people look down at the Inya Zanaria. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's just absolutely bizarre. So Binti goes home. She's supposed to go on this pilgrimage, but instead Binti's grandmother from the Inya Zanaria comes and takes Binti on a separate kind of pilgrimage to train her in the ways of her Idan. So she's found this sort of secret old technology called the Idan, but it has a special power to it. And from there, uh, you start discovering that the Inya Zanaria have this whole secret backstory. So what did you think about... uh, that scene where the Enya Zanaria come in and you discover that they're not just this like tribal desert people. Talk, uh, talk to us about that. I, well, nothing in this book has been what we thought it was going to be. So I was like, that makes sense. What I really love about this is the connection. Like, you know, we hold our parents on this like pedestal, right? We, we idolize them for so long I really love when a grandparent comes around and says to you, like, your parent ain't shit, like, because I run this shit, which is basically <laughs> what the grandma did when she was like, I am in your scenario. You don't act like you forgot that that's what you are as well. But from from she, the grandma says it to the father. To the father. She's mm-hmm. like, Binti was destined for greatness. This is my grandbaby. And we're going now. And she takes her away. And I, I really love that scene because I have felt... Both of my grandmothers do similar things to my parents on a very small scale. I, my mom sometimes like watches our Instagram stories and my mom always be like, why are you cussing so much? And why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? 
And one time I remember my, uh, my maternal grandma being like, leave her alone. Like, you watch the stories because they're entertaining, cussing at all. And my grandma looked at me and she's like, don't change a thing that you're doing. Like, I, I just love when our grandparents, like, have our back in that way. And it, it's a nice reminder that hopefully one day my mother will be there and I don't know. I, it's just something in me just, like, is super exciting when the grandma... Similar to, like, Moana and other stories we've seen. Like, when the grandma is looked at, like, looked at as, like, batshit crazy, but is really who is right about all of these things and who we should be listening to. So, that that, that just kind of made my heart sing that her grandma was, like, this proud Inya Zanaria woman that demystified her idea of what desert people are and her grandma in this space had this like living breathing house full of like lots of plants and she's just like basically this like big hippie that's teaching Binti who she really is and accepting Binti for what's happened with her now new like Medusa Himba state like the grandmother ne never shames her the grandmother is always like comforting and warm and like explaining things to her and I really appreciated that because up until that point I was like man Binti fuck your family because they all get on my nerves but the grandma just really sealed the deal for like this is why family and connectiveness is important one of the ways that they show the Inya Zanaria to be this incredibly advanced uh, society is that they were actually the first humans to interact with aliens so there were these like nine foot uh, there's a bunch of nine foot people uh or aliens in this story there was this nine foot golden uh humanoid creatures who came uh to earth and only revealed themselves to the enya zanaria and they were called the zanaria people and so the human this human tribe took on the name of the alien people the zanaria and from them they learned how to become master harmonizers and they learned all this like certain kind of technology that Binti thought only belonged to like the Himba. And so she's discovering all this other part of a human society. And she also meets her love interest, uh, her human love interest, uh, Minwi at this point, who's also this master harmonizer. And there's like a different way. Yeah. in a different way. He, he talks to animals. So you, you get this awesome, fusion of like spaceships and aliens but then you also get the intimate of him like calmingly bringing d wild dogs together and they like s sleep next to him and they comfort them as they're traveling throughout the desert and it's so interesting that like she went home to finish her pilgrimage and meet and you know probably do the whole like dowry bit and be sold to a husband or whatever and so that was like her focus 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 and it's just like that ended up sort of happening when she met when ye it's like you you met you met somebody and you still discovered your purpose whereas she i think her family was always just pressuring her to be like you need to meet somebody through our way it needs to be a guy that we picked out that we did whatever that we vetted and so it was nice to be like i'm going to go fulfill my like mathematical harmonizing purpose if i meet someone great and she did mm -hmm. but we weren't i mean like their love story was cute but it definitely was not the focal point of the story which i for one appreciate it because we've just seen that somewhere to come yeah it's not a big part of it the the main part of binti home is that she gets this new technology from the zanaria tribe and essentially it's these like nanobots that live inside you and become like your own astrolab so astrolabe astrolabe oh astrolabe astrolabe hmm? again audiobook, audiobook Astro baby. so instead of having to walk around with this like 
circular ball astrolabe. Like a cell phone. A cell phone. It's inside of you now. It's inside of you now. And so you thought that these desert people who are like basic or whatever actually have the most advanced. Advanced. Right. Most advanced Period. Who? So Binti home uh, ends with her getting that technology, but also she has to sort of cut her pilgrimage short and she has to head back to her home because the Kush have attacked her home because she brought Oku. The Medus. Uh, the yep. Medus to her home. So we've got the first book, which is just Binti. The second book, which is Binti Home. And then the third book is The Night Masquerade. Let's yep. talk a little bit about that. Let's let's talk about this epic battle to the end. Right. So Binti, Night, The Night Masquerade. Uh, the Medus and the Kush have uh, reignited old angers and old uh, problems. And so the hopeful piece... Uh, was not uh, brokered from the first book, and so it's a recycling of that problem. And the Kush are, the Kush are still really pissed off that all these young people, uh, their brightest young people, uh, were killed before they got to university. And the trauma of that is so fucking real. Like mm. she even talks about that she's the only human in her year at university because every other human was killed from yeah. Earth. Every other human was killed from Earth. And so uh, there, there is that problem there. And so they go, while Binti is on her pilgrimage, the Kush go to Binti's house, her family's home. And at this point, Oku did not go on her pilgrimage. He's just hanging out at Binti's family's home. And they go there to get Oku. Yeah, the nine-foot jellyfish. The nine-foot jellyfish, the Medusa. And her family, despite being problematic and despite saying you don't go to university stick up for oku and the result of that is they burn down her home which has been in her family for you know hundreds of years it's called the root because it foundation on this like incredible powerful tree and it's fucking destroyed and all everyone in her family is killed every single person in her family is killed like because they're they, like refuse to snitch on where oku was yeah and that just Boom! Huge explosion. And yet, Binti goes back and still tries to broker peace between the Medusa and Kush, even though the Kush have killed everyone in their family. Right, at that point, like, fuck the truce. But she's yeah. a master harmonizer, so she's she's called to do that work. She, yeah, and, yeah, like, I, I didn't really understand that, because at one, she goes back and forth between wanting to get her tribe, the Himba tribe, to fight and kill the uh, Kush, but then she's like, wait, maybe I need to broker a truth. Did you really, I like that, I mean, there. Mm. she's trying to create some tension there, but I don't know, if someone killed at, like all your extended family, like brothers. It, it would just be really hard for me to keep the peace at that point. But if, it, if, I mean, if that was like literally how my DNA is made up, like what you gonna do? Yeah, I guess it's this a whole predestination thing. Like right. do we have free will or predestination? Anyway, she decides to, uh, broker the peace, but as she's trying to broker the peace between the Bedus and the Kush, things go terribly wrong, and it ends with this like massive space battle, and there's yeah, like explosions. Like cool Star Wars. Oh yeah, it is. It is really fucking cool. Um, explosions, and th- through the middle of that, she ends up being killed, and like her death is not Binti's death. In uh, Binti, the Night Masquerade is not a pleasant one. Like her, Mm-mm. she gets like shot and explode. Like her, ch- they, um, her chest gets exploded open, and 
when that happens, the narration goes from first person to third person. Yeah. And that switch was so surprising. I was like, oh, she's dead. Right. I didn't believe she was dead. Surprise, she's not. <laughs> but I, I was just like, mm-mm. Well, okay, so I, the when I was reading it, I, because the, the transition is so clear from going first person to third person. Which was great. Stylistically, that that, that totally was effective, but I just didn't, I wasn't I, here for it. Uh, Especially when I saw that there were, like, still about 100 pages left. I was like, there's no way she's well, dead for the next 100 and, pages. And that's when I thought Mean uh, Wee's story would take over. Because right. he sort of becomes uh, the main one. Anyway... Uh, Anyways, uh, turns out that our family isn't dead. See, there are no stakes. This is, I don't, I don't like that when there are no stakes, Ben. I, I, I definitely enjoyed the book, but, but don't tell me someone's been killed. A, 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 a family of 20 plus have been killed and then they haven't been. I was obviously glad to see that they were alive and they were like hidden underground, which was a really cool, vivid description. But when I found out that they were all alive, I knew I was like, well, Binti's not dead. Yeah. So, so they end up taking Binti to space, uh, through this like living, um, this living, uh, ship, the living ship and the living ship ends up, um, putting like, like rebuilding Binti, like because her whole body is like destroyed. Yeah. And so the living ship ends up using its cells or its material to rebuild Binti, and Binti wakes up, and uh, the and she goes. Which was beautiful, but you remember I was I remember being frustrated. I was like, so let me get this straight. This bitch is part Himba, part Medusa, the jellyfish. Now part desert people, so Inya Zanaria, and now she's part ship. Like, okay, Nettie, we're getting a little extra now. I don't. I love. I that. know you love that. I love but... that I did, because that is who people are. They're not just one person. They're this collection of so many cultures and ideas. And every interaction that you have with someone, you take a part of that person with you. And so this idea of you're this kind of person. You're an American, or you're, um, or you're an African American, or you're a Korean American. Like maybe, maybe we'll do that. But I love that she says no. That's not how identity works. Uh, and you know, this is a very clear choice by um, Doctor um, Okora for it. Uh, she is a she is. You better put some respect on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. What, what was she, you thinking at the beginning? Yeah, she's. She, I I hear what you're saying, but. The story got too predictable when when that kept happening. Yeah. It's like the first time she was stung and then she became part Medusa. And then the second time she meets Inya Zanaria, she becomes part of them as well. And then the third time... With the nano bat. They put the nano Yeah, it's just like hand. she's not even who she originally started. Which I like that. I like that we can evolve to be this, like you said, this right. culmination but of all never, these thoughts and ideas. None of us are ever how we originally started. That's the beauty I of love it, that Amber. beauty, but don't, don't tell me someone's dead when they're not. That, but that's the whole like why Christ can't, story, right? That's the, but, the resurrection story is so I know, powerful. In, I know, in but it's just like, Everybody ain't Christ. So if you were to rewrite... Like her whole family of 20, one of them couldn't have died for real. One of them couldn't have died. And you know what else? Since we're getting to the end of the story as well. So Binti is recreated, reawakened after dying. This hoe doesn't even tell her family that she's alive. (laughs) 
she makes a conscious choice just to go back to the university. What the hell was that? Well, I think it was this idea that she is cutting herself off completely from them to 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 not. That's not cool. No, that's not cool. But when you come, let me go from, find the page that yeah, said it. Yeah, I was like, huh. What, but when you come from a society that puts so much pressure on you to get married and to stay from home and to look the truth inward and to take over the family business, her only live option could be for them to think that she is dead. I just could not. I mean, I feel like her, it was pretty shitty. Her mother, even though her dad could be a little shit, and her sister, but her mother always believed in her capabilities. So I, there's no world where I could just let my mom think that I was just completely dead and destroyed. Like that's not. I felt a way about that, right? Let me go see where it is. I'm just, I'm just trying to stand up for. I know you love Binti. I love Binti too, but I don't think it's... I Like, all of that guilt that she felt and, and returning home for her pilgrimage and trying to broker all these truces, I just cannot believe that she would come back to life and not tell her family. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I yeah, that part wasn't... I right. can't find it, but right. you so, know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I no that that's a good point. Uh, to be fair, this, uh, at the end of 2019 was greenlit for a series on Hulu. Yes! Oh, yeah. it so deserves. Yeah, so there are going to be, like, many, many more stories. Um, already there was a, a new Binti story released in 2019, which just focuses on her experience at the university uh, for her first year because they sort of skip over the first year from book one to book two. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, the story does not take place at the university it mostly takes place on the spaceship her traveling to the university and then back at earth dealing with that so i'm i'm very excited to get more binti stories i really enjoyed this book like even though i was disappointed that binti just said fuck it to her family if you're just looking for a book that completely takes you out of the real world and like into a galaxy where black people are central to the narrative, I could not recommend this book more. It just blew my mind. Like all of the descriptions of the technology and the different species of people. It was so well written. It was so good. I cannot stress that enough how good it was. I, I really hope that when they make it into a series that they take their time with it. For example, like you could do two, you could probably do two episodes of her just traveling to the university and building up all these characters that take we see dead. Time, yes. So for example, one of her love interests, uh, Hiru, um, he's mentioned, but then he's killed very quickly. And so I just imagine like audiences loving this idea of us learning all these like potential friends, human friends that Binti is going to have, Kush friends, and then, episode three they're all killed at the end of episode three. yeah and then also there's these flashbacks throughout the story of her as this eight-year-old um learning about mathematics and uh, there's this um, mm -hmm. idea called treeing which is the process of breaking apart mathematical equations so like prime factorization but also her doing like recursive equations in her head and just creating these like closed sets which is just really really beautiful and cool i know that they're gonna do all that right i worry about 
casting because this is a story. You heard it here first. When this comes out uh, on Hulu years from now, we're going to look back to this episode. Binti is the story of a very dark skinned black woman with locks. Mm -hmm. That is how she is supposed to look. Mm -hmm. So I do not want to see Zendaya play Binti. I don't want to see, what's her name? Amanda Stein, Steinberg or whatever. I, my fear is that they're going to cast one of those girls in this role. Like, that is not the role. I want to see, and, like, a Denai Guerrera in this role. And her being dark-skinned is an important it's part. It's essential to because, the story. Because all her brothers and sisters are lighter-skinned, and they bring that up because she looks more like her father. Yes. And, and that that creates um, sort of that insecurity in the earlier, mm -hmm. in the earlier books. But the because, colorism is important. Yeah. Even with the Kush people, right? So please, 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 whoever I know, I know Nettie Akorafor is not going to let this go off the rails, but my, my biggest hope here is just put a very strong, highly melanated, beautiful character with natural kinky hair in this role. Cause that's literally what the book said. That's what the book said. Now I didn't write the book. So please, please, please do us a solid and get the casting right. Because there are so many dark skinned black girls that have been waiting to play the protagonist. Who have been who have been told like cut off your locks and they're like nope I'm not cutting them off this is their day this is your Whoopi Goldbergs okay so do it right that's my only request I think we should end on that note <laughs> Ben why don't you warp up the show all right in conclusion uh, Doctor Akura Four has done it again with Binti we are mm. huge fans huge huge fans uh, we can't wait for the Hulu series Go by Binti uh, they're novellas so you can buy three individual ones audiobooks too or you, or yep or you can uh, buy the, the whole set. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. We got another book coming at you next week. We will be reading Freshwater by Akweke Imezi. Let's talk a little bit about this bomb-ass writer. Akweke Imezi is a trans, non-binary, Igbo, and Tamil artist. Freshwater is their debut novel. I cannot say enough about how incredible this book is because we've already started it. So I'm just going to read a quick quote by Tanana Du about the book. Do writes, what if we were not one person, but three in one body, created by careless gods who forgot to close the gate? Akweke Meze's novel Freshwater paints a fiercely unique, unforgettable story of identity, mental health, and the world beyond ours. This impressive debut is lyrical, but well told. There you have it, folks. This was one of the most anticipated novels of 2018, so be sure to check out Freshwater. You can get it on audiobooks or at your local library or bookstore, and we'll see y'all next week for the discussion. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.